Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, a very pleasant, uh, good, oh, it's afternoon now. And you usually to say, I know that just somebody's talking about me. Um, <laughs> good afternoon. It's a little bit afternoon, Central Time. It is 25 January 2022. And we're back with you. And I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing from Dr. Thomas Levy. He was a, uh, yeah, really cool stuff. Uh, we enjoy talking to Dr. Levy. Tomorrow, Richard Mayberry will be here. He's a, uh, a hard metal guy, gold and silver guy, a libertarian, and um, very interesting fellow and uh, editor of the Early Warning Report. And he's here on the last or the fourth, um, I don't fourth Wednesday of the month. So he'll be here at 11 o'clock tomorrow. We just had our 800 number repaired. God bless the phone company. Thank you, Frontier. So we'll have our, our 800 line working for for our Friday uh, session where it's just you and my me and the phone lines and stuff. So that'll be on Friday. So join us. Um, I think you're going to find the lady we're going to talk to interesting. We read about her somehow. I don't even know how I came across uh, Janet Phelan, but... Um, she has been on the trail of the biological weapons agenda since the new millennium. She has a new book, and it is called At the Breaking Point of History, How Decades of U.S. Duplicity Enabled the Pandemic. Well, so that caught my attention. So we've uh, got in touch with her, and she's on the air now. She's in the green room, and she's waiting to be introduced. But she's published a lot of very... Um, curious things about these issues. Her book is on Amazon. Her articles on the issue have appeared in Activist Post. It's a great publication. New Eastern Outlook, We uh, Infowars, we know that, of course. Uh, Alex Jones, just down the street in, in Austin, Texas. And uh, she went to U.S. Berkeley and uh, my hometown, uh, well, St. Louis, University of Missouri Graduate School of Journalism, one of the best journalism schools in the country, they say. So she's been around, and she's been a, a journalist for a long time, and we're going to find out what, what her current mm, fun stuff to talk about is, and uh, here she is. Miss Janet, how are you? And I guess Phelan is right. I didn't ask you if that's correct. Right? That is right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So how is your life? You a happy girl these days? Oh, well, I'm a busy girl these days. It's uh, hardly a boring time to be alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're busy. Uh, what are you really looking into now? Uh, talking about your book? and Well, right now I am uh, doing uh, as much radio as possible to talk about my book. And uh, I am continuing to write some for Activist Post. And, uh, you know, never a dull moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, back in, in, in um, I, I have a post here back in, 2015, you were writing about the Biological Weapons Convention, and I didn't realize that this thing was even around, and this was what, Russia, Great Britain, and the United States, they came up with the thing in 72, right, and said that we're not going to do biological weapons against one another, right? There are prohibitions, specific prohibitions, uh, in the um, in the international treaty known as the Biological Weapons Convention against development, stockpiling, deployment mm -hmm. of biological weapons. And of all, um, all three of these places, have they have they kind of went along with this agreement? Um, more than three. There's, I believe, over 180 sig uh, national signatories now. Yes, ma'am. To the Biological Weapons Convention, so it became. Uh, quite a uh, a um, consortium of different countries. Uh, every five years, there is a review conference, which is sort of the big blowout for the uh, the Biological Weapons Convention, which is held in Geneva, Switzerland. And uh, prior to the review conferences, there are yearly uh, meetings that uh, carry less weight. But there are some very interesting things concerning this convention, because unlike most arms treaties, uh, the Biological Weapons Convention has no verification 
or enforcement protocol. So if you break the convention, nobody can do anything about it. That's kind of um, a a big red flag, I would say. Yes, ma'am. So why do you say that... um, How has the U.S. been duplicitous in bringing on this whole pandemic? Give us your broad strokes of what you're arguing here with your book. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, uh, when, when the pandemic first hit, like around early uh, 20... 21, I guess. 20? Yeah, 2021. 21, whatever. whatever, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, maybe 2020. Know, Sorry. It's becoming interminable right. now. So. so maybe early wow. 2020, right? So, yeah, we're two years. Okay, yeah, two years into this. Right. So right. when it first hit, it became obvious to me that most media was not reporting this event in context. Uh, they were not discussing the efforts. Some of them uh, attempted to be rather covert. Uh, some of them were more obvious by the U.S. to uh, basically set up and establish a pandemic scenario going back 20 years and more. And I became concerned that this was being uh, reported as a sort of unique event, like, oh, someone ate a sick bat in Wuhan, and, right. and now everybody's sick. Right. Well, uh, nothing could be further from uh, factual reality in terms of the forces at play, which uh, developed and promoted uh, this pandemic. So um, one of the issues that I discuss in the book is the U.S.'s uh, violations of this Biological Weapons Convention, which, as we just mentioned, nobody can do anything about. Uh, The first violation that I became aware of uh, took place around uh, 2001. Mm -hmm. So when the U.S. uh, Congress passed the Patriot Act in response to the events of September 11, there was a provision in the Patriot Act, which media never reported on. And that was Section 817, the expansion of the Biological Weapons Statute. And what this statute says is essentially, it, it, it provides domestic legislation where people can't develop, stockpile, and use uh, biological, biological weapons, weapon. right? right? Except there is a caveat at the end that gives the U.S. government permission and immunity from violating its own biological weapons laws. Now, why would they do that? Really? Really? In, yeah. in the Patriot Act, which was a couple weeks after 9-11, right? And people claim that this thing was written and ready to go, which is a whole other yeah. story, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that was Section 817, the expansion of the Biological Weapons Statute, in which it states, the prohibitions contained in this section shall not apply to any duly authorized U.S. governmental activity. Now, that's a rather big deal, particularly given the U.S.'s um, involvement with that international treaty. So I got curious as to uh, whether or not the U.S. complied with its treaty mandates to report the change in legislation to the treaty at large Hmm. Um, under a what's called a politically binding mandate. The U.S. has to report any changes in biological weapons activities to the convention, including changes in legislation. And guess what? They didn't do it. They didn't do it. And I got uh, actually traveled to Geneva twice, really? uh, once in 2011 and once in 2016 to attend the Biological Weapons Convention. And I was able to speak with one of the chief delegates from the U.S., uh, a man named Chris Park, who uh, said, gee, it was an oversight. We forgot. <laughs> well, the fact is, that 817 could be seen as as violating the treaty. But it got worse because uh, it turned out that it wasn't really an oversight. 
later in that convention, uh, which was in 2011, uh, uh, there was a side event hosted by the U.S., Team USA, and a man named Dr. Daniel Gerstein, who is was actually a, a, a member of the Department of Homeland Security, made a PowerPoint uh, presentation to the people in the room, the delegates and, and media and so forth in the room for this side of it. And the power of presentation, PowerPoint presentation uh, featured what strong and vibrant uh, biological weapons legislation the US has. They put, he put on the screen the old legislation. He didn't mention the fact that the US has signed off on its obligations and can and will uh, uh, stockpile, develop, deploy biological weapons with immunity according now to domestic legislation. So it wasn't an oversight. It was deliberate, uh, a deliberate attempt by Team USA to mislead the convention. Hmm. Curious. So then do you... Are you, do you make the argument then that this COVID thing could be part of that and this thing was some kind of biological? Is that part of your book or do you, do you go there? Part of, of my argument is that the U.S. has diligently set up certain sorts of legal, legal, legalistic right. um, sort of portals uh, which they can go through with immunity and not be held accountable. Now, there's another issue of concern concerning this Biological Weapons Convention, which, as I mentioned uh, previously, has no teeth whatsoever. There's nothing they can do about violations. And why is that? Well, in 2001, which was shortly before, uh, a few months before the events of September of 2001, which included the anthrax mailings and the anthrax yes. attacks, a, uh, an ad hoc committee at the Biological Weapons Convention had put together a proposal so that uh, finally the BWC would have some teeth. And uh, they presented, the ad hoc committee presented this to the convention at large. So, uh, so that the, the, the Biological Weapons Convention might be actually a treaty that has some juice to it. And the reason, the sole reason that this was not uh, accepted uh, by the convention is that Team USA got up and walked out of the room boycotting the proposal. Now, this team, was led by U.S. ambassador at that point in time to the U.N., a fellow named John Bolton. Remember oh, we remember right? John, yeah. So, so six months, this was in May of 2001, so six months before uh, the anthrax attacks, uh, which you could have possibly been appropriately investigated if there was an internet mechanism to do so? No. No way. So, I don't quite understand how a provision in the Patriot Act could could give the government some kind of cover if if they it would just be cover from doing something nasty with biological weapons in other countries or here as well in this country well well that's an interesting thing about this section 817 because if you pick it apart and you read uh the other stipulations and provisions it's really looking like they're talking about domestic deployment domestic there is no mention of these weapons being used against an enemy, a foreign foe. There's a lot of talk about um, individuals who who aren't uh, 
who are, are exempted from from the prohibitions, all of whom appear to be in the status of U.S. nationals. Uh, it, it, it's very weird. Yeah. So one begins to wonder if they, if somebody somewhere was planning a domestic attack. Now, there are so many vectors. There are so many lines of of um, of attribution that go into Section Eight Seventeen. For example, the uh, one of the primary authors of the USA Patriot Act was a man named Michael Chertoff, who was at under Bush, uh, the head of the Department of Homeland Security. Right. Uh, he has. Uh, he has some interesting familial relationships, and one of them is with a gentleman named Larry Chertoff, who uh, has worked in infrastructure in the U.S. in a lot of different capacities with the EPA and with other sorts of um, uh, infrastructure-related uh agencies and it is a primary thrust and thesis of my book that the infrastructure has been shall we say tweaked in the u.s to provide the capability for a selective biological weapons attack now before people start screaming conspiracy theories science fiction or something like that uh, i want to assure you that the book exquisitely documents this tweaking of the infrastructure and uh, blueprints uh, and other sorts of exhibits are provided to uh, buttress the contention that the infrastructure, particularly the water infrastructure, was altered over decades in order to provide a uh, Pandemic delivery system selected. So, but if I understand with my emails with you, Janet, you don't really dig into the um, existence or not of a biological thing for this COVID, do you or do you not? I mean, do you, do you go? Um, no, I've I really sort of left that alone. You, you left that um, This is more for the potential or the legality or the infrastructure that's in place that the United States can do theoretically without going to jail or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, without the government going to jail. Right. What a concept. Right, what a concept, right. Um, right. Okay. Um, I, I am a not, I'm not a medical professional, yes, and uh, I don't feel particularly qualified to comment on uh, concerns about, you know, which biological... Uh, and whether or not, for example, that there are statements being made by Dr. Stephanie Seneth, among others. She's a researcher you know at MIT. Yes. That, yeah, that, uh, that it's possible that the vaccine contains prions, which causes mad cow disease, which is untreatable. There, there are a lot of concerns being voiced, and I made a conscious decision not to review those in the book because uh, I'm not really qualified to do so, but I am qualified. You know, I know a delivery system when I see one, and when people look at the blueprints in the book, I'm sure they'll see it too. Yes, sir. And I also know when somebody changes the law and then doesn't report it to the overseeing international authorities, that's something I can can grapple with also. So do I hear you correctly of saying that your book could be more aimed at um, the pan- the injections of being the issue rather than something released in the air. Um, you know what I'm saying? The biological <laughs> attack could be through the injections, the so-called vaccines, and not something that was the cause of this COVID with a biological release through the air, which we've not seen any evidence of or any proof. You know what I'm saying? We just don't yeah. see that. And so, you know what I'm asking? 
Yes, I do. And there's actually a chapter in the book that discusses um, the possibility that COVID has uh, enabled sort of a triangulation of attack. Hmm. And that triangulation, as discussed in that chapter, includes vaccines, includes the possibility of the deployment of this tweaked water system and also what we're calling imposter pharmaceuticals. So when we talk about the triangulation of attack, we're talking about things that can be activated in the pandemic scenario, not the pandemic itself. Wow, things that could be activated. What else would be activated other than an injection? Well, um, for example, if people are put on lockdown, yes, ma'am. then they're going to be most likely subjected to only accessing water infrastructure from their own house. And yes. given the selectivity that is uh, in the, uh, the the tweaked water system that I, that I referred to, um, this would provide people very likely with a maximum dose of whatever is in this tweaked water system, selective again. Uh, so if you put someone on lockdown, they're probably going to be drinking and bathing and cooking in house water. Yes, ma'am. So that is that is a possibility. I'm not saying it is. That. It's possible. It's a possibility. Hmm. Right. And the other, there's something that we're calling imposter or doppelganger pharmaceuticals, which I also mentioned in that chapter. Now, to give a little background here, um, what are those? Okay, we know that the old uh, Soviet Union had a cache of uh, imposter pharmaceuticals that were death pills. So they were, they I'm were, sorry, I didn't understand that word. Imposter pharmaceuticals yeah. that are death what? Or death pills. For example, Ooh. if they wanted to uh, eliminate someone under some sort of plausible deniability, they could uh, replace, you know, their their pharmaceuticals. Let's say they have a, a pill for, you know, prostate or for an antibiotic or something that they're normally taking, right? Yes, so, they, so there was a catch of replacement pills. So the unsuspecting person would take their, you know, evening dose of whatever and expire. Now, uh, what we have now in the U.S. is a similar sort of program. Now, my ability to document this and prove this is dependent on my getting a chemical analysis because I do have some of these imposters in my uh, possession. And up until this point in time, I have not yet been able to find a lab who will agree to uh, to identify and analyze what I have in my possession. But I do bring it up in that chapter. And there's some uh, evidence that these pills are already in deployment in nursing homes. Wow. So you have where you have like let's say a, a sort of captive person yes, who has been put into the nursing home and maybe they, they they they're running out of money, you know, to to pay for it. so a decision is made that that person is uh to uh be eliminated. Yes, ma'am. And there is some evidence that this uh, sort of um, anti-medicine <laughs> is now being given to people in nursing homes. Nevertheless, um, I did appeal to a European NGO, uh, to, which agreed to help me find a lab to analyze these, because otherwise I'm just talking out of my rear end, you know, really yes, without proof. I understand. So, so what happened with this uh, NGO is they were unable to find a lab. I was also working with a gentleman who's a former military and rather pissed off at, at what the U.S. is doing. He's a former colonel in the military and he lives in, I believe, Arizona. 
and he also agreed to find a lab for me and has so far been unable to do so. So I, you know, I, I am insistent that that what I have in my possession is not uh, viable, it is not to be consumed by anyone who wants to stay alive. And I would, you know, appreciate very much if anyone is listening who has a lab contact that documentation is crucial to these sorts of allegations and to please contact me. How did you come up with particular American pharmaceuticals that you are suspect? How did you come? How did I get them? Yeah, how did you, I mean, how did, how did you know which even ones do suspect? Um, well, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, as we had discussed a little bit before the show, uh, I mentioned that I am now living outside of the U.S. And yes, I had, I said rather, uh, uh, sort of offhandedly that I had some things that have happened to me and I haven't gone into a lot of detail uh, because my 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 my, my, my impetus here is not to draw attention to me but to the work and to the peril that we are all in now but I will say that I have certainly become a person of interest before I left the U.S. and some things that happened to me. Oh. So I yeah. think you can draw the appropriate conclusions yeah. okay. here. Okay. Can we take a break here and then we'll be right back and sure. uh, talk some more? Yeah. Wow. Pretty trippy, huh? Janet Phelan and her book. Let me show you the, the cover here. I had it here. What happened to it? Here it is. Here it is. It's called At the Breaking Point of History. How decades of duplicity enabled the pandemic. She sounds like she's very thorough with her work and uh, even went to Geneva to check some things out. So might be something. And I think she said it was on Amazon and we'll make sure that um, we'll be able to tell you exactly where you can, you can get it. One of our favorite things ever to have with our smoothies is this. For my first meal of the day, I like to make a blended drink, and I'm always basing my blended drinks around colostrum. Colostrum adds so much creamy flavor and texture that if you don't have it, smoothies start to seem a little bit watery to me. Now I'm going to be combining it with a bunch of other ingredients, but it really is the all-star. Colostrum has so many health benefits. Probably it's best known for its effects on the immune system. There's actually an article in PubMed showing colostrum to be three times more effective against flu and flu symptoms than flu vaccines are, even in high-risk patients. It's incredible for fighting flu and other viral type infections. It's also really good for building lean muscle mass. In fact, it contains all 89 of the known mammalian growth factors. It's also very good for the gut lining. So people who suffer from things like Crohn's, IBS, uh, leaky gut syndrome, a lot of those folks are using colostrum in the regenerative process to heal and restore their gut lining. And one of the things I love about it is that it's a complete food. So colostrum contains everything a mammal needs to thrive. It contains all of the essential amino acids. It contains all of the essential lipids or fats. It contains all of the essential glyconutrients. Those are essential sugars that we need for our immune function. So it's got all of that and all those growth factors, which means this is really a complete food for human beings or for any other mammals. tastes great. It's got the fuel I need to get through the day, and it's got all those added health benefits thanks to the colostrum too. Boy, it's just a great product, and it's so much fun to, you can mix up, um, uh, you know, some fruit, and we like to use like almond milk or oat milk is one of our faves these days, so that's kind of fun. And then if you go to um, Shen Blossom, which I'm going to tell you a little bit about, you can find this product, if I can find it, this slide. Oh, here it is. If I knew what I was doing. Uh, it's called Grotein, and the, the, the lead ingredient on this, this puppy is uh, bamboo. Can you imagine? I mean, bamboo. That's what, that's what the koala bears eat, bamboo. 
So I want to be like a koala bear because I climb up trees and party down. And uh, Shen Blossom has this product called Grotein. If you'd like to try a really fun kind of a protein uh, product without whey or rice or anything like that, as as bamboo is the lead ingredient, uh, this this guy will do it for you. And then some other things that you can get from Shen Blossom. Um, there's a there's a concept in Chinese medicine uh, and Ayurvedic medicine called Jing, J I N G, Jing. And what this is is like um, oh, it's like God stuff, you know. It's like mojo. It's like prana, chi. It's like what everything that we have to get up and uh, you know do our exercises and do our work and and uh, live our life and and have our relationships and everything that we do on planet Earth, Jing. And uh, there's some special herbs that build Jing in your body. And guys, you can't have testosterone and make babies or practice make babies unless you have testosterone and you got to have a Jing to do that. So, oh, wait a minute. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't have my audio thing on. I just blew it. Okay, so I'm back. Uh, <laughs> my audio turned off, and uh, but it's back on. Okay, so uh, let me let me just retrace my steps here just a second. That the Grotein product, this little puppy, this will be great for you to mix with your colostrum since my microphone is now on, and uh, this will be a wonderful thing. It's uh, bamboo and. Uh, and, oh, you didn't read lips? No, you didn't read lips. Bamboo, it's just, a, it's just a wonderful, wonderful product. So, also from Shen Blossom are two products that uh, I want to tell you about before we go back to Janet, is Jing, J-I-N-G. Jing is like prana, chi, mojo, divine spirit, everything that helps us to do what we want to do have our relationships, do our exercises, uh, be creative, uh, you know, write books like Janet, do our research, uh, working on my screenplay. You got to have energy. And Jing in Chinese medicine is like, and there are two products with Shen Blossom I want to turn you on to that will help that Jing uh, be increased. This is called Heishu Wu, Heishu Wu, or Heishu Wu, which works on the kidneys and the kidneys then is the uh, the mother load of um, sexual vitality, libido, and 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 all that good stuff. And then the other one is called Rewind. It's really interesting product, and it's a it's a syrup that you can get from Shen Blossom, and you just take little spoonfuls of this baby syrup, and it's uh, very very powerful. You can feel it. Uh, Shen Blossom has some very interesting products that I don't think you're going to find anywhere else the kind of quality. And here's a little uh, graphic of their products. Uh, everything is in Myron glass. Everything is based on some really great uh, Chinese medicine formulas and ancient formulas. They have a ginseng, if you can believe it, and you can because I'm telling you that I don't lie to you, is 50-year-old ginseng. Hello, 50-year-old ginseng. You're not going to find that at the Circle K, I'll tell you that. Nope. Probably not. Check it out. Uh, Shen Blossom, some great, great products. It's on OneRadioNetwork.com, and that's how we support ourselves is by uh, you purchasing the products that we promote, and we've got some good stuff. So, you know, I mean, come on. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. There is the, uh, the, the title of Janet's book, and it's Amazon. You on Amazon, Jen? Yeah, I'm on Amazon. Um, I'm on Barnes and Noble. You can also purchase this from the publisher, which is Trine Day Publishing in Oregon. So pretty cool. It is available, and it is just recently out in an ebook. Oh, that's well. great! Oh, ebook too, and the ebook is Amazon as well. Do the ebook thing. Um, I know it's Barnes and Noble. It should be up at Amazon by now, but it's mm-hmm. definitely at Barnes and Noble. You know, it's kind of interesting. Barnes and Noble is a very, very well respected mainstream kind of publisher that they tackle something like 
you have pretty feisty material. Well, I think I was very lucky in getting um, the publisher that I did. Trine Day has a has a reputation and a history of sort of cutting edge ah. uh, books, uh, but they also have gotten themselves pretty much hooked up. Relationship, with, uh, yeah. A lot of these other uh, more traditional websites. If you have a question for Janet before we leave. Um, the 800 n- number will be working um, Friday, but not not right now. You can email Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. So here's something that I'm just kind of really curious about. So if we go back and look at this idea of the Patriot Act, uh, you're saying that the the government, the gov, the one we love, giving themselves. I don't know, immunity or something from doing some really spooky things, right? This, mm-hmm. You know, these are my words, sorry, not yours. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you just, can't, you just can't pass a law saying that it's okay that we kill you. I mean, that doesn't give you immunity, does it? Well, there's some very peculiar things going on. Yeah, I think think so. Yeah. Um, There were some other laws that were subsequently passed, which appear to be circling the wagons around this infrastructure program that I mentioned having to do with uh, selectively tweaked water systems. For example, uh, shortly after the Patriot Act was passed, there was a Critical Infrastructure Information Protection Act passed, which made it a federal crime punishable by prison for any public official to release any information about critical infrastructure. And the book goes on to discuss some of my efforts to uh, extract from certain government agencies more information about this tweaked water stuff, including uh, a rendition of some meetings I had with the Water Commission in one state. It was in Medford, Oregon, and their, their verbalizations were getting so pathetically bizarre that I sort of threw up my hands and, and, and I asked them if their responses were being governed by this caveat in this other law saying you can go to prison if you talk about critical infrastructure. And as discussed in the book, both members of the Metro Water Commission got up at that point and said this conversation's over and they left the room. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> so that was one law. There was another law that was uh, uh, passed uh, uh, under Donald Trump uh, establishing a CISA, a federal infrastructure agency. But there's also a, a legal caveat in that law, which uh, takes away uh, individual private right of action. So uh, this is being interpreted, because I do talk to lawyers about these laws to make sure I'm understanding things correctly. Hmm. So if you wanted to sue under this critical infrastructure nonsense, you can't do it. <laughs> you, can't do, you can't do it. Whoa. So they've actually passed laws that people who knew about potential or alleged spooky stuff in the water system, they can't say anything. It's against the law. They could go to jail for saying that's right. Wow. And um, actually, the book goes into because I do, I was able to get some blueprints of this uh, tweaked water stuff, but I was able to get them only through rather uh, dramatic and uh, um, uh, uh, difficult routes. Because when I go to a water, uh, uh, um, Agency like in Los Angeles mm-hmm. or in or in uh, in Oregon and Washington and some of the other states that I discussed, and I would make a uh, a records act request for these records. I uh, would get very peculiar responses, um, which are also archived in the book. 
uh, the letters themselves are photocopied and put in the book. For example, uh, Santa Monica denies they have any records at all on water. Fascinating, right? Uh, City of Los Angeles sent me a letter saying, great, well, we'd love to give you these blueprints, but you got to wait a couple weeks because we have to create entirely new blueprints for you because we have to redact the sensitive information. Oh, really? Now, what, what the city of Los Angeles did not know is that the particular uh, blueprints I requested, which did come eventually redacted, uh, were blueprints I'd already gotten through uh, this sort of uh, surreptitious uh, uh, method that I had developed. And the surreptitious method involved uh, hanging out, uh, finding out where, 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 where the water crews were doing the work. And then I'd just like show up sort of by accident and I'd chat up the foreman. And one point I even promised to go out with him. <laughs> I didn't actually do. But, you know, batting my eyes and trying to look as blonde as possible and, right. and saying, oh, gee, you know, what great, what gee, can I see the blueprints? Right. So as soon as I get those blueprints in my grubby little hands, I started photographing. So that's how I got the records that show definitively the tweaking of the water systems, not through making public records at request, because I get these blueprints that are stamped redacted, which do not show the elements of the weaponized water system. When you say tweaking, so, you, you actually have evidence, like in, in L.A. or other places, that there are bad people... <laughs> putting poison stuff, trying to hurt and kill people in the water system. I mean, What I have is uh, evidence that the water systems were changed. Changed. And were done so over a period of actually decades. It took a long time to hmm. reconfigure the water systems in the U.S. Initially, we had one main line running down the street, and that was water. And attached to those were service lines going into every every house. No problem. You know, we all need water, and there are the service lines. With the changes made in the water systems, the tweakings, we now have two lines. Two lines. Running down the middle of the street. Now, that also could be uh, easily satisfied uh, if, uh, if the government felt like uh, answering questions about this second line because the way it's configured you have uh, service lines that cross connect from the second line going into the first line into your house okay so that enables whatever's in that second line to be selectively released so you know this this could be no problem at all i could have gotten a letter saying oh yeah we just made the system redundant uh, but I didn't. I got all these national security letters, and Boy. and we can't show you this, and we'll go to prison if we talk about it. Really? Wow. So there's no problem talking about that first line, that water line. But you start asking questions about the second line. Let's say, for example, that uh, someone put syphilis in, in that second line, or for those who who are concerned about germ theory, let's say they put formaldehyde in that second line, okay? So whatever is in the second line is being withheld by remote control valves. That's also documented in the book. So uh, if they wanted to hurt you, Patrick, uh, particularly if you're on city water, and I don't know if you are or not, all they have to do is remotely open that valve in that second line and your service line would be flooded with formaldehyde or syphilis or vodka or whatever they want to run. Yes, ma'am. So I can't say what it is. I can't say what they're putting there, but they're acting very protectively and actually rather frightened about any questions about that second line. And this has been going on, this research, and they're looking at this for how, how many years? Um. I made my first public records after request concerning this in 2004. Wow. I was a columnist at the Santa Monica uh, Daily Press at that point in time and made that request as a reporter and promptly lost my job. You lost your job, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I was, I, I mean, I'm well enough trained, you know, you don't go into water department screaming conspiracy. You just say, can I see the blueprints, right? Yeah. And uh, within six hours, I got a call from the editor of the Santa Monica Daily Press. Uh, she was very upset. She said I was endangering her position as the editor by asking these questions, and I was finita. Whoa, so, that's a clue. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, as you know, there's been a lot written the last two or three years with this, whatever this thing is. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know. I don't even know what to call um, about the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and mm -hmm. you know and yeah. this this Agenda Twenty One and the whole thing about lowering population and injection. Mm -hmm. is, is this could this all be tied in with that in some way with yeah, the yeah, cities? Yeah, with the cities. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really. Uh, so. In order for, if there is indeed a depopulation agenda, I would suggest that it, it would probably um, be a promoted uh, uh, co covertly. Uh, sure. I don't yet see uh, arm, uh, groups of stormtroopers running down the middle of the street, busting into houses and shooting people. Uh, so, how best to uh, harm people covertly? Um, well, one way is through establishing a pandemic and it, which can result in the activation of at least three other ways of, you know, we're just trying to help you take take a shot, right? Sure. Oh, you died. Yeah. Oh, well, what happened there, right? right? Oh, stay at home. Oh, you drank the bad water and died. Well, nobody's going to talk about that, right? So you've got, uh, you have allegedly democracies or republics, which are uh, allegedly uh, uh, governed by the rule of law. And these countries have have decided that the world is overpopulated or maybe they don't like the kinds of people that are on the earth or whatever yes, reason they, they've come up with. So they decide that they've got to like thin the herd. So I would uh, propose that they would do so in ways that that get people confused and, and wherein people think that the government's actually trying to help them, not harm them. Now, there is a section in my book which, in which I go into what I'm calling the U.S.'s uh, um, obsession with DNA, because as you probably know, Patrick, uh, there have been a lot of attempts to, to collect the DNA on as many people as possible. Yes, ma'am. Uh, we, you know, we have anyone who gets arrested gets their DNA taken, okay? So the FBI and you know other law enforcement agencies have millions of samples of DNA now. There was also a newborn screening act, which was enacted under the uh, second president Bush, in which uh, babies now routinely have their DNA collected and sent to like where, who? So who's collecting all this DNA? Then in that section, we go into uh, a bit about genetic weapons uh, because it is possible at this point in time, and I believe that the people don't know this, they might really like to read this section of the book. It is possible to create a genetic weapon that would only kill a person with a particular gene profile. Now, there are two ways that that can be accomplished. You can either uh, make a, a gene weapon that can attack an entire group um, who share the same DNA or an individual. So you, there are two ways to go with this. Yeah. Um, I, I, and, uh, I think yeah. that I think that this this whole thing. Remember some years ago when this whole genetic twenty three twenty three and Me thing came out. Yeah. And I, I think that whole, just my opinion, was a big false flag of just collecting bunches of DNA because it's all made up, all this stuff. You know, you have this, you know, you have this gene. It's just, 
it's not true. You know, we found out early on that people were caught up in this idea that they had this, I don't even know what they call it, a splinter or something like that. But it's not even, the body's not set up like that, you know. This whole thing was a scam. But, my opinion. So, here's an email from Shirley. She wants to know, well, she says, well, doesn't the Nuremberg Code trump all of this and these people are still all liable? You know, that's a very interesting question. That's a good question. I understand yeah, that. yeah I'm, I'm really glad that she asked that question. Um, first of all, the Nuremberg Code is uh, has been formulated uh, as a suggestion. It hasn't exactly been passed into law. So it, it remains as a sort of uh, legal in a legal gray zone. I do understand, yeah, yeah, I do understand that there are efforts to uh, to make claims at The Hague uh, by some very brave and valiant lawyers uh, sure. concerning, concerning these matters. So the Hague will hear crimes uh, against humanity, uh, uh, crimes of genocide and so forth, now, interestingly enough, uh, and I go back again to U.S.'s efforts to protect themselves completely from legal liability, the U.S. does not recognize the Rome Statute on which the Hague is established. Therefore, the Hague has no jurisdiction over the U.S. Wow. So this would really kind of, I don't know, this may be out of your bailiwick and you don't have to involved in this this idea but I mean wouldn't this kind of really cement the idea that these globalist people world economic UN this whole crowd are have been controlling this government for a long time um, it certainly does appear it appear that way right it appears that way or, uh, you know, an alternate way of maybe saying pretty much the same thing yeah. is that the leaders of countries have kind of all gotten together and made certain uh, backroom agreements. Yes. Um, uh, either way, we do seem to have a global effort to, uh, to, to enact these sorts of, of methods. I do want to mention... Um, that this, for example, this this tweaked water system has been found now in other countries. It's been found in Canada. Oh. It's been found in Israel. It's been found in post-invasion Iraq. And I really want to thank WikiLeaks for, for releasing all those cables that helped me make these determinations. It's also been found in Geneva, Switzerland. I found it there. And also, uh, in at least one capital city in Latin America. Uh, and I have suspicions that it has gone quite a bit further than that. So yeah. uh, there has certainly been efforts made by leaders of so-called sovereign nations to kind of uh, come together and do this thing. Yes. Just do it. Yes, right? ma'am. Yes. Yeah. And I think there's plenty of evidence with this whole agenda 21 we've done shows on it where they mm -hmm. they get into the local city councils and they mm -hmm. give them money uh, to do green new deal and smart cities and man-made global warming and this whole thing and and the city councils they they i'm just conjecturing here but they certainly have their fingers in the whole water system they've got to right the the local city infrastructure they have to, they they, they have have to. to. yeah they have they to, have to. Yeah. Right. and now and, and i do no, I, go I ahead do want to say one no thing. go ahead just very briefly um what what i found uh concerning for example my 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 research into water not everybody knows about this for example the street crews who are tearing up the streets and putting in these second lines and the valves and so forth they, they, they don't tend to know that there might be a problem with what they're doing. Right. Um, it's when you get higher up the food chain, when you start talking 
to the engineers and the supervisors and those in charge that you run into evidence of, of foreknowledge and complicity. Yes, ma'am. We've seen some pretty interesting evidence of late, too, with Dale Bigtree, his work with some ladies, mm -hmm. and we, we've streamed the show where they, they can prove that hospitals are getting an incredible amount of money just to say that the person died of COVID and then yeah. extra money to put them on a ventilator. I mean, it's, That's true. it's amazing. It is true. It's, it's, it's in the law. It's in the law that was passed uh, after COVID hit. Yeah. Wait a minute. They passed a law. What, what can you enlighten us on this? How, how? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, the, the monies that are being paid out to, uh, to hospitals for uh, calling a, a person a COVID patient and then more monies for putting them on the ventilator were codified in the law that was passed by Congress following uh, the, the, the beginning of COVID. Wow. Uh, I, yeah. Wow. And now we're also seeing that school boards are being paid money to oh, really? to to do what whoever is paying them the money do the mass mandates and all that. So parents get up there and they they go on and on and on and they're not going to do anything because they're getting millions of dollars at a school board just to to do whatever, and they don't get the money unless they do what the people who are giving the money tell them to do. It's crazy. What's going yeah, on? well, money tends <laughs> to influence a lot of people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah actually, um, this is a bit off topic, but I, I actually like the opportunity to bring it up. Um, uh, I'm, uh, I write about other issues, not only biological warfare, and one of the, my concerns is what's going on in adult guardianship cases. In the what, in the in the what cases? Adult guardianship. Uh, where an elderly person is declared often without buttressing medical uh, 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 conclusions, is de declared incompetent, and is appointed a guardian and immediately loses all access to their funds and all, uh, almost all of their rights. So uh, I've been writing about these issues for a number of years as well. Um, it seems to be another mechanism uh, that can uh, result in grave uh, civil rights violations, constitutional violations, crimes against property, and unfortunately also death of the targeted elder. And so recently I've been looking at a case that's taking place in Cope County, Illinois. Uh, an elderly woman, she's 80 now, named Amelia Salas, was put under a guardianship uh, over the protests of her husband. Now, uh, there's a lot of hanky-panky going on in, in this Salas case. And I had been calling Amy Salas at the uh, home where she was forcibly ripped from her husband's side. They have a house in Skokie wow. and placed there over her protests and over his protests. They've been married over 54 years. So um, I have been calling her because for some reason, the guardian has decided to completely sever the marital relationship and her husband can't visit her, can't talk to her. So I volunteered, yeah, I'll call and you know, let her know he's thinking of her and things like that. So the other day I called and I was not put through and I called the local police to have her make a wellness check because, you know, Amy's 80 now and don't really know what's happening to her. She's sequestered. She's cut off from all contact with the external world. And the police came back and said, there's a court order that says that she can't talk to anybody but a guardian. So I contacted the court. And just to cut to the case, Chase, there's no court order. Wow. There is no court order. So. This home lied to the police. Now, uh, Amy Salas has a pension of, I believe, $7,000 a month. It's, a, it's considerable. And the guardian has access to all her funds now. And uh, is, is uh, you know, so, so there, this is 
to some extent at least a money-driven enterprise but the fact is the home lied to the police and the police won't do anything about it i spoke yesterday with an officer i believe it was low and brown with the uh, buffalo grove police which mm-hmm. is the city where where amy is in this home against her will against her husband's will you know he can't have any contact with her and and, and without any documentation of any sort of abuse or mistreatment by the husband so you know you've got laws in place that we've got elder abuse laws you have lying to the police laws you have uh, title 18 section 242 deprivation of civil rights under color of law and the police just sit there going well we won't do anything so you know uh, i am of the mind that there are underground guidelines that are running the show that there are, are memos you know we want you to do this yeah it's against the law but who's going to stop you. And when you're dealing with police officers or you're dealing with FBI or you're dealing with Homeland Security, who is going to stop them? You've been a a journalist for a long time. When when was it in, before we go, when was it in, was there a time when you had an aha moment and you knew that we were in spooky land you know and there were, yeah. was there what, what was yeah. it what was it um I, I detail that process and it really is a process of awakening sure uh, sure uh in a prior book i wrote in that was titled exile um basically and briefly uh, there was an attack on a family member the family member almost died, and suddenly, uh, police, judges, district attorneys uh, are all averting their eyes and letting it happen. And so it became clear to me that while there were laws that should protect her, nobody who functioned as a part of the legal system would protect her. And. Uh, and so I had to ask myself, why? I see. Why, why does this? Why can this happen? And we're seeing it now happen with Amy Salas. Yes, ma'am. And how long ago was this? Um, my mother was murdered in two thousand and four. Wow. And so that was what, that was the wake up moment. That was the wake up. So what keeps you going now? And here you are. I mean, just passionate journalist you know, wanting to help bring out information and you see this huge, I don't even know what to call it, cabal, you know, global you know, <laughs> movement. What keeps you going now to, 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 you just do what you can, that's it? You do what you can. Yeah. And if, if you're fortunate enough to have been woken up however rudely or catastrophically (laughs) uh, then I think those of us who have been woken up have an obligation to the world um, because the world is changing in ways that I don't believe it will be possible to fix if the sorts of changes that are being made now are allowed to stand so we're, 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 we're this is our last stand, Patrick. It, I really believe yeah, that. Yeah, this is this is a big one, right? This is a big, mm-hmm. big one. Really is. Mm-hmm. Well, you're um, pleasure to talk to. Thank, thanks, for, to thanks for coming on the show. Let me show you a little, your little book title here, so folks can get it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is uh, Janet's book, at the breaking point of history, how decades of U.S. duplicity enabled the pandemic, and as you hear. She's really well-researched and does not say things lightly just because she wants to sell a book. Uh, Janet, thank you. You take care of yourself and stay under the radar now, okay? Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> it's been an honor. Thank you. Yeah. Janet Phelan, thank Patrick you. Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, <clears throat> well, you know, just, you know, somehow we we get introduced to these kinds of wonderful souls who 
are out there doing things that um, nobody, you know, how many people know about, you know. So we're very honored to have these folks come on from time to time. And I hope you enjoyed um, hearing from her. Spooky land, man. It gets spookier <laughs> the more we go. But, you know, I <clears throat> I don't know how you're feeling, but uh, I'm having the time of my life these days. Uh, I don't know why. You know, I just feel more positive about my life. I hope you do. Um, I, I know we're going to be fine and work through all the crazy stuff. It's, um, but... Uh, if I knew exactly how it's going to all unwind, uh, I'd write a book under the pseudonym Nostradamus. I mean, who knows? But we're doing the, we're doing great. We're all getting healthier, right? And uh, what can we do? So we're going <laughs> to we're going to see you tomorrow. Uh, Rich and Mayberry will be here at eleven o'clock. He's one of our faves, and our phone lines are repaired, so we'll have. Uh, You'll be able to call up on Friday when we have just one-on-one like we do. And uh, So let us know if we can help with anything. My email is patrick at oneradionetwork.com. It's the best way to reach me. I look at all my emails, everyone. I don't answer them all personally because I cannot. If I did, I would spend all my time you know, answering emails and then I wouldn't finish the screenplay or would do anything else. So I can't do that, but I do what I can. Uh, let me know if I can help, and uh, uh, I love you all very much. You're doing great. It's spooky time, but hey, we're going to do fine, and and <laughs> we're going to do fine. I love you all. See you tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, 11 o'clock Central Time. Uh, thank you for your ongoing support, and you do that by uh, looking at uh, people that we um, have a relationship with mm, on our website, oneradionetwork.com. So if you see something there, we have a lot of great products, a lot of great products. Um, we have, I, we think the best, uh, but you know, and we do, we got the best. So I'll see you all tomorrow. You take care of yourself. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.